Matthew chapter number 16 this morning, and I'd like to begin reading at verse number 13. I'm just going to read a few verses, and then we'll pray. The Bible says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this day that you've given us. Thank you for all that have come out to be a part of this service this morning. I pray that you touch each heart. Lord, we trust you for the message. We trust you for the listeners, for the hearers, Father. And I pray that you would just do in hearts that which would glorify you the most. Father, if there's one amongst us lost and undone, show them their great need of Christ's salvation. I pray they'd be saved before it's everlasting too late. And Lord, I just pray that you would accomplish in our hearts today, Lord, uh, an attitude of obedience and surrender to the Holy Ghost. Father, we love you and we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. I'm very interested in the question that our Lord asks the disciples in verse number 15. The Lord says, uh, but whom say ye that I am? Could I say to you today, that's the most important question that exists in this day that we live in. What do we really believe about Jesus Christ? I'm struck by the fact that there are many opinions about him today. If you were to uh, take a poll of most religious, quote-unquote, it almost turns my stomach to say religious organizations, amen, but that's what the world would call them, uh, you would find that there's many and varying opinions about who Jesus Christ is in this world that we live in. But I say to you that as far as the world is concerned, there's never been a consensus view. Uh, the majority has never been able to make up their minds. You say, well, preacher, I don't know about that. Well, I do. The Bible says that narrow is the way that leadeth life everlasting. Uh, it's always been a, a very few uh, that have truly believed that He's the Son of God, uh, that in Him salvation lies, that He is the way to heaven. You see, this is no new phenomenon, all these opinions about Jesus Christ. They may regurgitate themselves in different manners, uh, in different uh, modes and methods, but it's all the same story that's ever been told, uh, that there's only one way to heaven, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. And this world does not accept that message. This world rejects that message. And just as the devil, who is the great counterfeiter, the great substitutor, uh, he doesn't always do it by getting men to reject uh, in totality Jesus Christ, but merely to degrade and compromise who he is and what the Bible says about him uh, to the point that men can believe that he existed, can believe certain things about him without ever putting their faith in the finished work of Calvary. You see, it's no different today than it ever was. And our Lord looks at His disciples and He asks them the question in verse number 13, Whom do men say? Now notice what our Lord says here, that I, the Son of Man, am. Can I say to you that your opinion about Jesus Christ doesn't change Jesus Christ one bit? Christ didn't ask this question to find out who He was. Uh, this was not some question that was, uh, you know, asked in the sense of uh, self-realization. He wasn't trying to find out who He was, uh, like a lot of the airhead gurus today are trying to do, find out something about themselves. You know, I found it interesting. Every time the world, uh, anybody in the world takes a journey to find out something about themselves, they always find out they're good. Have you ever noticed that? 
You know that you look in the Word of God and the Bible will give you the exact opposite opinion of that. Isn't that just like sin-fallen man to look at himself in the mirror with all of his sins and flaws and wickedness and unrighteousness and walk away and say, Ho, look at who I am. Boy, that's just like man, isn't it? But the Bible talks about you and I looking into the perfect law of liberty. That'll change you now, friend. The Word of God will give you the real opinion, the real assessment, the real determination of who you are. So Christ was not asking this so he could find out something about himself. How could an omniscient Savior ask something, ask anything ever to find it out for himself? But this is as all of the questions that our Lord asks, they are in a sense rhetorical. You see, he's not asking this so he can find out the answer. He's asking this so that you can find out the answer. And every question that God ever asked, he didn't ask it because he needed knowledge. He asked it so that you could gain something from it. He says, I am the Son of Man. And by the way, that title denotes a lot more than just His humanity. We talk about His humanity, and that is the title of His humanity. Uh, But understand that Christ was saying a mouthful when He called Himself the Son of Man. He was saying, I am the, I am the God-man that has descended down from heaven. I have been made like unto my brethren. I have suffered and will suffer for you. I am going to the cross of Calvary to die in your place, uh, that you might have redemption. It was a mouthful when he said the Son of Man. Christ did not ask this question uh, for any benefit of his own self. He knew who he was. No matter what the world says about Jesus Christ, he's going to keep on being Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how many times they blaspheme his name, how many times they try to redefine his image, how many times they try to pull him off of his throne. He's still the Son of God. He's still the Savior. So this question is not given so that Christ could find out, but it's a question that is given that you and I are to ask ourselves because the importance of it and because the decisiveness of this question. Notice some of the answers they give, and I'm just going to give you these by way of introduction because I find they're very telling of society today. Look in verse number 14. It says, And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, I think that probably they said our Lord was a lot of different people in this day that He lived when He walked upon this earth in His earthly ministry. But there are three names particularly that the disciples chose, that the disciples pointed out, three names that they had heard more than any others. And I find that these three names give us kind of a consensus view of what the world thinks about Jesus today. First, they said, some people, Lord, are saying you're John the Baptist. When I think about John the Baptist, uh, you know, you look at the ministry of John the Baptist, and uh, we never really see the nation turning to God under his ministry. There were some that uh, believed and some that went out to be baptized, but uh, his ministry was not marked by great success necessarily by the world's standpoint. We don't have a single record of John the Baptist performing a single miracle. What was the thing that defined John the Baptist? He said this, uh, or the Bible says this about him in the book of Isaiah, says, I am as a voice crying in the wilderness. You see, the thing that defined John the Baptist was his message. And can I say to you today that there's many in the world that admire the message of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't mean the message when he said, except ye eat my flesh and drink my blood, ye shall have no part of me. But I mean, there's a lot today that will laud and look up to the uh, Sermon on the Mount. There's a lot of folks that will look to the passages that speak about compassion. Let me say, those passages are in there. I'm thankful we have a compassionate Savior. I'm thankful that the Lord did preach that we ought to love one another. I'm thankful that the Lord uh, did say that we ought to do for one another. But can I say to you that we can do for one another, we can love one another, we can be compassionate one to another, and that will never get us to heaven. You see, some, some folks, they admire this message. 
And they identify the Savior as being this meek Galilean, this uh, shepherd of Israel, this carpenter from Nazareth that came and preached kindness. Of course, they overlooked the passages uh, where he braided a cord and drove them out of the temple. Uh, they overlooked the passages where he said, I'm not come to send peace, but to send a sword. Uh, they don't uh, pay attention to the passages where he said, I'm come to send a fire, and what will I if it already be kindled? They don't pay attention to the passages where he speaks about the axe being laid to the root of the tree. They don't want to talk about those, but they'll talk about the Sermon on the Mount. You see, they like that message. And to this day, all across this country, I promise you, you could go into homes of people that are lost as the devil himself and find Scripture that is cross-stitched on patterns and hung on walls. Uh, you'd find little precious moments. I don't know why it's so precious uh, to see them little dolls with the big eyes and the sad faces. They creep me out, Amen. But those precious moments, dolls, you know, uh, that, that are supposed to look like Jesus, they don't have a problem with that message. I would say that not only do we see they didn't have a problem with his message, but look at the next name that's given. It says Elias. This is the Greek uh, alliteration of the Old Testament name Elijah. When we think of Elijah, uh, I'm going to be honest with you, we don't really think about a message when we think of Elijah. In fact, you could probably take all the words that Bible uh, that the Bible records of Elijah saying, uh, smack them all together, uh, and they'd fit on a business card. His message was not really the thing that defined Elijah. What defined Elijah? It was his miracles. You see, Elijah, the Bible talks about how that he was a man of like passions as we are, yet he prayed and the Lord shut up heaven. That's the thing that defines Elijah. This is a man that prayed and God sent down fire onto the altar. Uh, this is a man uh, that uh, God used uh, to bring oil uh, to a woman that was uh, starving to death. This was a man that God used to raise folks from the dead. When we think of Elijah, we think of a man of miracles. And can I say to you that there's some that admire his message, but there's some that admire his miracles. There's some that liked him, and the charismatic crowd falls into this category. Uh, they talk about holiness, and they live in sinfulness. Come on now, that's true, isn't it? They talk about holiness, but they live in carnality. And by the way, this is free, this isn't my message, but you know, everybody likes to talk about the church at Corinth because Paul talked about tongues with the church at Corinth. I, I, I really don't believe that the tongues that Paul was talking about is the same thing as the gibberish that goes on in a lot of these circuses uh, that people call church services. Uh, but, you know, everybody talks about, oh, all the tongues, all the tongues, all the tongues. And yet the church at Corinth was the most carnal church that Paul wrote a letter to. He said that there's uh, such iniquity and such fornication among you as is not named amongst the Gentiles uh, that a man should have his own mother. Now, you tell me there's not a bad picture painted there, amen? Uh, but, you know, there's some that they like to talk about as miracles. Well, they like the idea that he opened the eyes of the blind. Hey, I do too. They like the idea that he raised the dead, that he called forth Lazarus' name, and I, I do too. They like the idea uh, that he uh, looked down upon a woman with an issue of blood and said, Thy faith hath made thee whole. And, and I like that too, friend. But can I say that you can believe in every miracle that Christ ever performed, and that won't get you to heaven. It's not enough. There's a lot of sensationalism uh, that has robed itself as Bible Christianity today that is not Bible Christianity, that is uh, purely sensual and carnal, and uh, people are flocking to it by droves, and they like the idea of the miracles, a miracle-working God. I'm thankful for a miracle-working God. God does miracles in my life every day. You know the greatest miracle He ever did in my life? When He saved me from my sins and redeemed me from my lost condition. 
Oh, friend, that's a greater miracle than anything God has ever done for me. Uh, some people, they like his miracles. But you know, then there's a third name that's mentioned. It says, some say you're Jeremiah. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out who that is. That's Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet. Jeremiah's ministry is marked by failure. Failure in the world's eyes, uh, success in God's eyes. I would say there's probably not much more people in the Word of God, probably not another person other than our Lord and Savior uh, that had as rough of a time as Jeremiah did. God looked at Jeremiah before he ever started his ministry and said, Jeremiah, you're going to fail. In the world's eyes, you're going to fail. You're going to go to these people. You're going to preach to them, but they're not going to turn. Uh, they're going to persecute you. They're going to seek to kill you, Jeremiah. They're going to hate you for the message that you're preaching, uh, but you just preach on anyway. I'll give you strength. I'll help you along the way. Jeremiah wanted to quit at one point, and he said, I'm done. I was talking to someone the other day who was talking about uh, preachers and talking about ministry, and I, I made the statement, you know, I, a pastor that ain't almost quit about a thousand times, he probably ain't doing nothing for God, amen? Because I don't care who you are, if you've ever been in ministry, if you've ever preached, we all have those moments, like Jeremiah did, where he said, I'm done, I'm done, I'm not doing it anymore. He was there in the stocks, and he was made a laughing stock and a fool through all the nation of Israel. He said, I'm done, I'm not doing it anymore. Then Jeremiah says something funny began to happen. He said, I began to feel the Word of God in my bones like a fire. He said, I tried to be quiet and I couldn't be quiet. Just had to preach, just had to tell him, just had to do something for God. What an admirable man. What a man that we'd all look to. And this was the very man that some of them said, that's who this Jesus is. He's Jeremiah incarnate. But what is it that defines Jeremiah's ministry? Let me give you one word. It's the word tears. That was what defined his ministry. He was a man of meekness. He was a man of sorrow. Could I say that there's some that admire the manner of our Lord and Savior? You say, what do you mean? I, I mean the very love and tenderness that he displayed, that he would be willing to look down on us and love us. Uh, the very fact that he would be willing to suffer in the way that he did. But can I tell you something? You can believe that Jesus died on Calvary and split hell wide open. You listen to me? You accept it as an academic fact and not as a faith fact. If you believe in it like you believe Napoleon existed, if you believe in it like you believe Waterloo happened, that ain't going to save you, that ain't going to help you a bit. And there's a lot of Christianity today that is based upon people just acknowledging the academic fact. I've seen it. I've seen people stick a Bible under a sinner's nose say, read this passage and they read it and say, do you believe that? And they say, well, yeah, I guess I believe it. And they say, well, you're saved then. They ain't no more saved than anything. Now, I'm not trying to make salvation difficult. Salvation's easy, friend. But salvation is not a matter of academics. Salvation is a matter of repentance and faith. I, I'm not saying if you don't cry enough tears. I'm not saying if you don't have some emotional show. Hey, when I was a 10-year-old boy, I, I didn't shout the rafters down. I don't remember weeping any tears. Uh, but I recognize that not only did Jesus die on Calvary, but that if I didn't call upon Him to forgive me of my sins, I couldn't be saved. There's a lot of empty Christianity in the world today. There's a lot of people that have these varying opinions. You can talk to just about any religious uh, group, any religious sect, and you'll find that they all have some moderately positive opinion about Jesus. You can talk to the Unitarians and they'll say, well, we admire his uh, ministry. You can talk to the Muslims and they'll say, oh, yes, he was a prophet. You can talk to Buddhists and they'll say, oh, what an example that Jesus left for us to live in self-sacrifice. But the question is this, what do you really believe about him this morning? We find that this question is three things, and I'm just going to give them to you very quickly. I want to say, first off, that this is a pivotal question. 
There's a lot of questions that are important but are not the most important. Isn't that right? Now, let me say that just because something's not the most important, that doesn't mean it's not important. But there's a lot of questions that are not the most important, uh, but uh, they are still important. But this question that we have set before us today, I would propose to you that this is the most important question in all of the Word of God. There's a lot of things that you can be wrong about and still get to heaven. You know that? There's a lot of things you can be wrong about. I mean, you can be wrong about what you believe about prophecy, still get to heaven. You can be wrong about what you believe about standards, still get to heaven. I even believe this. Now, some of you, you ain't going to know what to do with it. I even believe you can be wrong about Bible versions and get to heaven because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe that. But this question, right? and by the way, that's not to say you should be wrong about any of those things. It's not to say that God won't uh, have something to say about it if you are wrong about any of those things. But this question here, this question's bigger than those questions. You can't be wrong about this question and get to heaven. You can't be wrong about this question and be saved. You say, well, preacher, I don't know about that. I know folks that, you know, they're good people. It's not a question of morality. You say, well, I know, I know people, and they, I mean, they, they work in their church. Not a question about working in your church. Listen to what the Word of God says. In John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We either believe that or we don't. First John 2, 23 says, Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. You say, preacher, what do you think about that last phrase in italics? I believe it belongs there. Amen. I believe it belongs there. I believe it's true. I believe it is factual. I believe what, it's what God would have us to have. First John 4, 15, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. First John 5, 12, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It don't get much plainer, does it? Unless we should wonder how solid and how uh, foundational that is. In 1 John 5, 13, it says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. There's a lot of things folks can be wrong about and make it to heaven, but this is one that they cannot be wrong about. There's a lot of things a person can be wrong about and be born again, but this is one thing they cannot be wrong about. You have to get this right. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died on Calvary for your sins and mine and rose again in power and in glory? Do you believe that? That's the question we must ask ourselves. That's the question we must beckon sinners to answer. There's a lot. I, I tell you, friend, I, I've known a lot of folks, and, and let me tell you something. I, I'm Baptist. I'm I'm so Baptist, I I don't even know what to do with myself. Amen? I'm not ashamed to be a Baptist. My old preacher used to say, what would you be if you weren't a Baptist? He'd say, I'd be ashamed of myself. Amen? I'm not ashamed to be a Baptist. But our job is not to make sinners Baptists. I personally believe the Word of God will do that. Amen? Our job is not to make them Baptists. Our job is not to get them into an independent Baptist church in their lost condition. Now, God bless you. If you're a sinner, if you're here today, I'm glad you came. You ought to invite folks to church, but it's not enough. What does the old saying say? You can stand in the car, and that don't matter in the garage, and that don't make you a car. Just because you go into the house of God, that doesn't make you a Christian. What is the question we must be drawing men towards? What think ye of the Son of God? What do you believe about Him? What is your opinion about Jesus Christ? There's varying opinions. And could I say that of these varying opinions, that all but one of them fall short. All but one of them fall short. 
You can love His message. You can like His miracles. You can appreciate His manners. But if you don't believe He's the Son of God, God incarnate, come for your sins and mine, then you've never been saved. You say, well, I don't know about that. I remember hearing a preacher on the TV made this statement. He was having an interview with Larry King, and Larry King asked him, so what about the Muslims? What about the Jews? What about all these people that have never accepted Christ? He said, oh, Larry. That's how they sound, you know. Oh, Larry. Oh, Larry, it's not my place to tell people whether they're going to hell or not. Let me tell you something, friend. As a God-called preacher of God, it is my place to say that if you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, then hell is your eternal destiny. Except you come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, then hell will be your eternal home. That is my job. That is the job of every God-called preacher. And let me say that that is the job of every born-again Christian, too. I'd say this is a pivotal question, but I would say not only is it a pivotal question, I would say it's a pointed question, wouldn't you? It gets to the very heart of the matter. I mean, there's a lot of things people believe, but this gets to the real heart of the matter. Some folks would say, I'm a very religious person. That word religion just makes me sick, amen? <laughs> if you use around enough Baptists like I am, it'd make you sick too. Uh, that word religion, the only time the word religion is uh, that found in the Word of God, ever in a good context in the book of James when it talks about pure religion and undefiled, every other time that the word religion is talked about in the Word of God, it's always got a negative connotation. Religion is man's attempt to reach up and grab hold of God. You say, what's Bible Christianity, preacher? That's God a-reaching down and grabbing hold of us. That's the difference between it. And there's folks that say, I'm part of a church, I've been baptized, I go to a certain church, I partake in, uh, you know, the communion or whatever of that church. You can do all those things. That's not the question. The question is, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? It's not a question of religion. It's not a question of morality. You say, what's morality, preacher? How do we define morality? Let me give you a good scriptural definition of morality. Morality is the devil's substitute for spirituality. That's what morality is. Morality is a bunch of man-made, uh, predefined laws that man adheres to to make them feel as though they are righteous. A lost man can be very moral. A lost man can do all sorts of things that this world claps about and praises them for. But a lost man can never do anything spiritual, for the spiritual things are spiritually discerned, the Bible says. A natural man cannot receive them. They are spiritually discerned. And one of the things that a sinner always thinks whenever you begin to witness to them and talk to them is the first thing their mind always goes to. You say, how do you know, preacher, that that's the first thing their mind goes to? That's their closest refuge. They always say... I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Here's the question. Good relative to who? Good relative to who? Good relative to your circle of friends? You know, there's some folks in this world hang out with the wrong crowd just so they can feel like they're the best of the wrong crowd. What are you? Are you good compared to your preacher? If I'm your preacher, it don't take much. What are you good compared to your family, to your parents? You're trying to break generational cycles. God bless you for it, but that won't get you to heaven. Who are you good compared to? Well, who is the standard by which we are measured? The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Who's the glory of God? The Bible says of Jesus Christ that He is the express image of His glory. 
do you measure up against Jesus Christ? It's not a question of morality. Lots of moral folks. And the sinner always thinks, well, they're saying I'm a bad person by telling me that I'm going to hell. You know, one of the greatest lies that the devil ever perpetrated upon this world is the ideal that only good people go to heaven and only bad people go to hell. Could I propose to you that just as the paradox of Scripture always seems to hold true, it is chiefly the opposite, that it is only good people that go to hell, only bad people that go to heaven. I've never met anyone uh, that was too bad to go to hell or to go to heaven, but I've met plenty of people that were too good to get to heaven. They were trying to get there on their own righteousness. As Paul spoke about, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. It's what he said in Philippians 3.10. He said, but the righteousness which is of God uh, through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the righteousness we must have. By the same token, I've known lots of people uh, that they were wicked, they were rotten. You thought for sure they'd be headed to hell. And they were headed to hell. Till there came a day when they had a head-on collision with the Holy Ghost and Calvary. God saved them from their sins. Hey, Paul, you know, I've heard people say this before. I'm too bad to be saved. I'm too bad to be saved. There's a little old short fellow that you're going to have to argue with because he already said, I was the chiefest of sinners. The Apostle Paul said, there didn't get no worse than Saul of Tarsus, but God had mercy upon me. Not a question of morality. Uh, some folks say, I, I heard a lady say this just out here, uh, probably about two, three months ago. We uh, began to witness to her, and she said this. She said, I do more than you do. That's what she said. So have you ever been saved? She said, you don't know me. I do more than you do. She said, I go and volunteer at a soup kitchen. You know, lots of folks think it's about charity. Charity. I, I, I hated to inform that lady, uh, but she can serve soup to the whole world, friend, and that won't get her to heaven. The question is, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? You can give away all of your earthly possessions, but if you've never been born again, it won't get you to heaven. It's not a question of charity. What does the Bible say about charity? Though I give my body to be burned. You can do everything in the world that you can think of. Uh, you know that uh, Martin Luther, and I'm not a big fan of Martin Luther. Uh, you know, all, a bunch of preachers talk about Martin Luther. Martin Luther was an anti-Semite and a Baptist hater, by the way. Uh, some of you are saying, the I have a dream guy? No, that's Martin Luther King Jr. Okay, Martin Luther, the 15th century Reformationist. Martin Luther, it's said of him that he literally uh, did things to his body through trying to crawl up steps and trying to deprive himself of food and things of that sort. He literally hurt his body to the point that it was chronic, that he never got over some of the physical, de- physically debilitating things he had done to himself to try to appease God. Then one day uh, he'll answer, I-, I don't know, I don't know what happened in his heart, but old Martin Luther would say it this way. He'd say, I was reading through the book of Galatians and God just shined a light on me and said, the just shall live by faith. You can do everything in the world you can think of. You can be baptized many times till you're waterlogged. It won't get you to heaven, but Christ's blood will cleanse you and make you free. This is a pointed question, but I would say to you that this is finally a personal question. It's a personal question. Not a matter of what your church thinks. Lots of folks think if I go to the right church, I'm going to the right place when I die. I think part of the problem in churches today, and I don't know, I don't know if this is the case with Wall Ridge, because I don't know anybody's heart but my own. But I think part of the problem with churches today is they're chock full of lost folks masquerading as believers. And Christians have have lost the doctrinal purity, the gumption, and the discernment to be able to tell there's something wrong. The fact of the matter is you can go to the right church and still die and go to hell. You can go to a King James independent, fundamental, premillennial, soul-winning, hacking on and on. We go down like biscuit eating, you know, gravy, whatever, and still die and go to hell. 
You can be surrounded by the greatest men and women of God that walk this earth and still die and go to hell. It's not a matter of what your church thinks. It's not a matter of what your parents think. God has no grandchildren. You're either a child or not. I can't tell you how many folks that I've ran into knocking on doors and witnessing, and I've said, have you ever been saved? They say, oh, yes, my daddy was a deacon. Oh, yes, my daddy was a deacon. Oh, yes, my daddy was a pastor. Thank God for godly heritages. But let me tell you something. <laughs> uh, your daddy could be the Apostle Paul himself. That wouldn't get you to heaven. Uh, it, it, God's in the business of changing our natural condition. You know that? You know what I'd a lot sooner hear someone say when I say, if you're saved, I'd a, lot hear him, I'd a lot rather hear him say this, my daddy was a drunkard, but God saved me and broke that cycle in my family. My daddy was a whoremonger, but God saved me and has blessed me with a good marriage. You can have all of the upbringing, you can have all the heritage, you can have all the ancestry that you want, it won't get you to heaven. It's not about what your parents think. But let me say this, and I'll close with this. It's not about what the opinion of those around you think. I'm going to try to say this just as the Holy Ghost would have me to say it. Everybody in this church building might believe you're saved. But if you've never been born again, you're not saved. Our young people, the youth pastor, Brother Kerry might think you're saved. I might think you're saved. Your parents might believe that. That don't make you saved. The older folks in this room, you may have been in this church 10, 15, 20, 30 years, 40 years. That don't make you saved. doesn't matter what people around you think. The question is, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? These middle-aged folk, you say, how old is middle-aged? Just a little older than me, amen? <laughs> it's middle-aged. It's not old yet, but it's middle-aged. You may be here and your kids, your family... Your parents, if they're still living, they may believe you're saved. But the question is, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? That's the question. That's the issue. On this question hangs your eternal destiny. What do you believe about Jesus Christ? You say, but preacher, I use a King James Bible. God bless you. That's wonderful. God's inspired or, or preserved His inspired Word in English in the King James Bible. I believe it's perfect. I don't believe it's a copy of the Word of God. I believe it is the Word of God. But you could have a whole room, a whole garage full of King James Bibles and still die and go to hell. You may say, preacher, but I'm premillennial. God bless you. We're premillennial around here. We're so premillennial, we don't go to the post office. Amen? You'll get that. That'll come by slow freight. God bless you. That's wonderful. But that don't mean you're saved. You may say, preacher, I threw out every bit of clothing that didn't glorify God. I just dress right now. Preacher, I got rid of everything in my house that might disappoint the Lord. Now he'd be pleased, right? The question is, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? You can have everything. Uh, what is it that one old fellow said? You can have doctrine straight as a gun barrel, just as hollow. You can have everything lined up just right. But if you've never called on Jesus Christ in repentance and faith to save you from your sinful state, to forgive you of your sins, if you've never been born again, then you've never been saved. The question today, what do we believe about Jesus Christ?